Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, in our new studio, answering the age-old question, do we have legs? <laughs> and yes, yes, we do. So I am here with Don Pizzette. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. This is uh, this is exciting. We got a a whole studio with chairs. We can sit down. It's uh, we've we've upgraded the latest in sitting technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got plants and, and everything. And Daniel, how are you doing over there? Uh, good. I'm uh, steadily on my path to becoming the world's fattest man. But uh, perfect. One day I'll get there. Well, uh, gotta have goals. You do. I don't want to call you out right at the beginning here, um, Daniel, but. Uh, this is brand new, so if you could get a coaster, that would be fantastic. Because <laughs> I don't want any rings nah. on these tables. Are the plants real? I don't they're, believe so. Like you can touch them real. Yes, they, they are not green screen. <laughs> they are not like they are not. Because if they're, they're can, you can touch that one, Daniel. Is that real? Yeah. You can't if they're real plants, I think we can be classified as an environmentally friendly podcast now. So we're, we're giving oh, back. This one's real. The one behind me. Look at that. We are reducing our carbon footprint. Yeah. Oh, don't Is this worry, between we'll two, two firms? <laughs> I'm, not a, firm I'm not a botanist, here. but it <laughs> might be. Right, well, yeah, back. this is beautiful. And if you're if you're just listening, uh, take a moment to head over to YouTube to IT Pro TV's channel and check out the new set. It's pretty pretty cool. We'll pretty be making some, some new additions to it as we go. We've got a little TV here. We'll be showing some things that we're talking about. It's going to be, it's, it's a whole thing. Do we have some new edition music queued up? Uh, I, I couldn't get the rights to New Edition's catalog. Oh, man. They I'd, charge. You can do, like, what, three or four seconds, though, right? I think so. Do you, do you know? What you should do is make a, a, a I definitely montage. Candy Girl, right? I mean, that's that would really sum up this podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in with our first article this week. Uh, got a lot of news to get to. First one's from WindowsCentral.com. Windows 3.1 is officially 30 years old. It's time to open up Command Line and celebrate the 30th birthday of Windows 3.1. And I'm curious... I know I used 3.1 in school. Did either of you right. use it in a professional capacity? Don, did you? Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of work with NT351, which was basically, basically based the on, on the same thing. technology. Yeah. Uh, but by that point, most of the workstations were at Windows 95. So, yeah, professionally, it was more Windows It was really solitary. I think sweeper. professionally yeah. for me, it was like NT4. And then all the workstations were 2000 at that point. So even though it was like 98 when I started working in the field. So. Yeah, because this would have been what, 92 then? That means? No, not, what's math? Is that how math works? Is that how math works? Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. 92. So, yeah, I would have been in eighth grade. Yeah. It, was, it was a long time ago. I, I do credit Windows 3.1 with being one of the things that got me involved more in technology uh, because I remember at the time, so my, my, my first computer that was really mine was an IBM PC Junior. It ran DOS 3.3, right? So command line only, and, and that was what I had. Uh, and the first time I got access to Windows, my older brother, he was in... Uh, uh, engineering school, and I had I had talked to him on the phone. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try Windows out," and and he said, "Oh, it's it's really complex. I don't think you'll be able to figure <laughs> it out." And I was like, "Well, I'll show him, you know, because it's older <laughs> brothers." And uh, yeah, I figured that out. <laughs> it's funny to say that. I mean, if you're coming from DOS to go, you know, this is complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I guess it's a lot easier for just 
someone off the street to pick up. Like if you if you put a computer, I, I remember one time in in uh, in high school there was a, a computer in the back room that we had kind of a free period, and we were like, oh well, we can play on the computer. And I didn't know anything about DOS, and it would boot up to DOS, and you know I'd just sit there until I like I finally figured yeah. out some things with, with between the error message suggestions and things. Um, but my goal was really just to launch Windows. Uh, but you could sit someone in front of a Windows computer, and I feel like they'll figure yeah. out something. You know, at the time, a GUI was not a given thing, right? So there were there were apples that had graphical user interfaces. Amiga had their GUI was was somewhat popular. But when I say somewhat popular, there were still like less than ten percent of the the market that was out there. So it really just was not a given that you'd have a, a GUI. And Windows three point one was the first one to just go truly mainstream. That it was available everywhere because they they supported clone computers and not just their own brand. So for a lot of people, that was what really kicked things off. Until today, where like if you go and buy a computer and doesn't have a graphic user interface, that, that's not even going to make it to market. That's just not going to happen. Uh, but it also brought us multitasking to the to the average Joe. And so it really did change computing. It's a big deal. And it's amazing to think that it was 30 years ago. Yeah. So so thinking about that, that experience I had where it would start in DOS, is that was that only a 3.1 thing where you had to launch Windows yourself? And then after that, when you got to, was 95 next? So 95, yeah. yeah. Once 95 came out, it was like, you turn the computer on, it booted to the GUI. Whereas in uh, 3.1, you had to say, hey, I want that graphical yeah. environment. Yeah. And then... But but DOS was still there. DOS was still there until Windows 2000. Right. Uh, so well, I guess like technically NT4 didn't have it. But uh, Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows Millennium Edition, all of them had where DOS would boot first, Windows would load on top of it. You just didn't see it. Hmm. And Millennium Edition, one of the reasons it was a disaster was they, they tried to prevent you, like actively prevent you from being able to get to DOS. Uh, whereas like Windows 95, you could drop out to DOS whenever you wanted. And what, what would be the point of that? Like kind of getting to the, is that like getting to the command line kind of? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh, so they, they wanted to make it easier for people because you, you had Mac OS they were competing against yeah. where you couldn't get to a terminal at all at the time. Uh, so they were trying to stay in line with that. Uh, but for most people, if you had old DOS applications that were non-multitasking or whatever, you might want to get out of the GUI to run those. There's not a lot of need for it anymore. But back then, people did. Yeah, I guess anytime we see a new version, you've got to have some kind of redundancy so people can still get in and access the programs that are not updated. Right. As is always the case. All right, well, congratulations. Uh, pop open you know, a, a <laughs> beverage for uh, Windows 3.1 if you were a fan, as many of us were. And it uh, was the precursor to a lot of things. All right, well, uh, in, in less happy news, uh, this one is <laughs> from the New York Times.com. U.S. says it secretly removed malware worldwide, preempting Russian cyber attacks. I guess that's happy news because it's better than. I was wondering why you said it was. Sad. Well, we're talking about hacking, <laughs> about, you know, that kind of stuff. But. <clears throat> I'm really curious. When I saw this article, I was like, I, I really want to get your your take sure. on it, both of you, because it's one of those things where, oh, that's cool. You know, we we stopped a Russian attack, but at the same time, this is America, and, and damn it, if I want to be attacked, <laughs> I have the right to. You can't come into me. my house. Yeah, I, I believe I, I you can't know. quarter a soldier in my living room, true. and you can't take my. You know, security flaws away from. <laughs> so what do you think? Well, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. How when the the Russian invasion of Ukraine started, uh, we all kind of braced for cyber warfare, right? We we thought a cyber attack was imminent. Uh, we had the NSA warning everybody. They put out a whole new protection guide for us to to get in and make sure our systems were secure. So people were were bolstering their defenses, but an attack never happened, right? Well, 
it turns out that that may actually be because of the work some of the U.S. government has done. And I, I know I've been critical sometimes of the U.S. government saying that we just really don't seem to be doing anything to prevent these types of attacks. But maybe we actually are and just aren't hearing about it. It's like so. the Kingsman, where they have all the articles <laughs> of these are the days that things happen, that we stopped attacks. And there's, you know, headline is about the queen got a new dog or something. Yeah, because yeah. We don't yeah. make headlines. So maybe maybe that's true. I, I don't know if it is or not. But the quiet in, professionals. Exactly. That's in the this scenario, <laughs> we had malware that was apparently being distributed all around the world. And some of the U.S. cybersecurity agencies caught wind of it, figured out how it worked, found where it was installed, got, got uh, warrants and other things from judges to be able to perform this action. And they actually reached out and actively shut down the botnet prevented access from the the CNC machines or 2Cs or whatever you want to call them, the command and control systems, prevented their access to the botnet, and in some cases entered corporate networks without the companies knowing it and removed the malware to basically stop them from being able to use as, as part of an attack. I wonder if, if they left a note or did any kind of disclosure to that company after the fact, like, just want to let you know we went in and did this. You're welcome. Apparently they didn't. That's so crazy. what was the purpose of doing it secretly, though? Like, why not say, hey, we found some malware on your system. We're Maybe so Russia still you. thought they had? or, or I mean, whomever. when it's not checking in, you know yeah, it ain't true. there no more, right? Like, Could well, they, could they write the something to make issue? it, like, fake check-in? I, they could. Yeah. So that when they push the big button yeah, there at the Kremlin, they went, Oh, no, this isn't happened. doing what yeah. we want. Yeah. Supposed to, eBay's supposed to be down. <laughs> I like to think it's simpler than that. I, I like to think that somebody in our, our Cyber Warfare Command Center said, you know... It's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Because <laughs> that's what you want your government to say. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I, they probably just figured if they can get in, knock it out, we don't have to get other people involved. They, they probably assume the more people they notified, the, the more quickly the Russians would find out about it. Yeah, and, and tweak their code. Or, or I guess if they notified, at that point, they still have a foothold on these other networks, so they could maybe plan something else that, that the U.S. government doesn't know about yet or yeah. something before that company goes and gets a chance to, to take that out. Yeah, I mean, when you when you know where the attack is, then you, you don't... There was a quote in Dune about this. Like, there was like going into a trap, and he said, knowing where the trap is is the hard part. You don't want to tip your hat, because then you won't know where the trap is when they move it somewhere else. That's like so. the... Um, what is the, the movie... Uh, with the Enigma. Thelma and Louise. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. Ben, Benedict Cumberbatch and yeah. whatever. The uh, imitation game. Imitation game. You know, they crack the code and then they're like, close. great, let's stop this attack. They say, well, we can't stop the attack because then right. they'll know that we've cracked their code. It's like, Whoa. Well, I, I mean, so you got to bring in the context of the imitation game, which was that the Nazis were sending like logistical information yeah. through those signals that were encrypted. Were these botnets doing that? And now we don't want to turn off that, so we can like yeah, we, and capture that information. And if, if they the were, that makes sense. They weren't. If it was just a wiper or whatever, yeah. Then once you've alleviated the problem, I mean, I guess it's a botnet. They weren't going to do wiping. They want to do some sort of control through those things yeah. and use those bots for whatever purposes. So it's not like they were capturing signals per se. They already had attribution apparently saying we've attributed this to the. Russian government, yeah, right. That, that's that's where I'm still in the dark with all like the the veil and the secrecy that's going, all the cloak and dagger stuff that's happening with, like, okay, you knew that it was there. Oh, did you did you plug the hole that allowed it to get in in the first place? They're like, no, we were just watching. Or to see we which just information turned this was off. coming in and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It's like I would love to see more detail yeah. behind 
what went behind that? What was the thought process and how they, um, you know, what they were doing and why they were doing well, what it? What are we, like, nowadays we're classifying things from, like, the Vietnam era. So I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> when in, we're in old men one day. So, yeah. You'll get a, it, like, oh, look well, at this. It looks the old, like the old government finally released that info. There, there were aliens. The aliens released the data. Yeah. You know, not necessarily on topic, but we, we have this 50-year window for when things get get declassified. So that's why we're learning so much about the Vietnam era right Mm -hmm. now, because it's been 50 years. Uh, That actually stems from the very beginning of our country when they signed the Constitution Mm. that, or not the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Right. right? That the people who were signing that declaration just assumed that they were going to be executed. And so they said, we're all going to sign this document. We're going to to, to put our name on John it. John Hancock's why he wrote it so big. It was like a big F to you. Yeah. He wasn't afraid. To the king, come yeah. At, come, at me, come and get me, bro. Yeah. But they said, you yeah. know, let's, let's keep these under wraps for 50 years because at the time your life expectancy wasn't much beyond that. Like if you were an adult. You were basically dead at that point. Yeah. And, and so that's <laughs> old guy. Well, I mean, honestly, if they were 20 years old, they'd be yeah. 70 yeah. at that point. So. And that was life expectancy. Yeah. Uh, but today it's not like that. So now you hold these secrets for 50 years. We lived to 76, <laughs> statistically. <laughs> People are still alive. So, yeah. Anyhow, hmm. history. Learned right? Isn't that the today. statistical life expectancy for an adult male in the United about, States? I think it's about there. I have no idea. I think it went down during COVID uh, oh, by, yeah, by they, like they a couple put years. Put a dent in it? Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little dent right there. Mm. And the life expectancy. Ah, what are you going to do? Yeah. Fun thought experiment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, let's let's take advantage of the time we have then and move on to our next article. <laughs> right. We might not make it through this yeah. episode. All right. This one comes to us from tomshardware.com. Oh, by the way, we're going to soon have... Uh, I thought you were going to say we're going to sue Tom's hardware. In 20 years, we'll find out all the secrets about Windows 3.1. That's oh, true. Yeah, because it will be at 50. Yes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> from Tom'sHardware.com, Raspberry Pi OS loses default Pi user for security. So is this one of those situations where every single Raspberry Pi goes out with a default username and password, and they said that this is bad? Sort of, yeah. So most Raspberry Pis ship without a memory card, so they don't ship yeah. with an OS at all. But okay. the, the default operating system that they have on the Raspberry Pi, Pi website. It used to be called Raspbian. Now it's just called the Raspberry Pi OS. Uh, and it has had a default username and password since the very beginning. Username Pi, password Raspberry. Mm-hmm. And so that's just kind of a, a known entity. And I I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I've never cared for Raspberry Pi OS, especially when you could install Ubuntu, like a full-blown Linux on there. Why, why would you run the, the limited one? The limited one makes sense in a learning environment, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that default username, it it hurts security. So in the latest version that they've released, they've removed that default account. It no longer exists. And during the install, you'll be, you'll be asked to pick a name. Does that hurt security because no one changes it? So there's the thing right there is that people get like super lazy on defaults and they just, it works, you know, or, or they're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to use this to learn and, and spin some things up and kind of get used to the environment. And then they just, but it's or on get network, around so. it. Inertia sets in, so, and never get around to changing it. Do you remember Tim's uh, flight map that <laughs> he did. had in yeah. his office? So, uh, for, for our listeners out there, uh, Tim, one of the the people that I, I co-founded IG Pro TV with. He had this really cool map, this map of Florida, and it showed all of the airports in Florida, and they all would report weather. And this map had an LED on every airport, and it would light up green if, if weather was good at the airport or red if it was bad and, and so on. So he could he could look across the entire state and see the weather status at every airport. Uh, well, inside of the picture frame for this map, 
was a Raspberry Pi. That's what it was driven on. And you just plug it in your network, gets a DHCP address, and it just works. It's magic, right? I thought right? it was GNOMES. But uh, not GNOMES, not in this yeah. case, but uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, username, Pi, password, Raspberry. You get right in. You got root access. And, th and the first thing he did was put that on the network? Right into the company network. Ooh. You know, that's the, the risk of IoT. Yeah. And, and so and now you've got an Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he had, like, Justin helping him with that. And yeah. He, he was like, oh, we got to change that username and password. And he did, and it broke the it whole broke thing. broke everything, yeah. Like, that was a hard-coded ex expectation of the application that was running the map. Oh. So when he changed it, it didn't work anymore. I, mean, I haven't seen Tim in his office in weeks, so I don't, well, know. So I don't know if it's related. Justin and Tim, they reached out to the guy who makes those maps. And you know, he's just an amateur guy, kind of a hobbyist, who's building these things. Not an IT security person. Never even occurred to him yeah. that that would be a security You mean risk. most IoT makers? Fact. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to see us moving in the right direction of, of getting a little more security built in. Would it would it have made a difference if he had said, "Okay, I'm going to add this to our guest network"? Well, you'd still have you a, still have access into the right. You might be limited to that guest network, but you're still connected to the other network through the device that. Sure. Uh, gotcha. So you might be able to hop into the other network in some way, shape, or form. Might make it harder, it, but yeah, you're not. It would almost be worse in a way, right? Because somebody could pull up in the parking lot and jump on the guest network. No you don't one would know. Secure it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then they could compromise that device, get a remote shell set up, and now they've got a foothold. Yeah, they could Somewhere. proxy all sorts of garbage yeah. through your network. Yeah, yeah, because it's not your network that they really care about. It's the devices on your network or having like almost like a bastion host for them to jump into and do yeah. things that they normally wouldn't do from home. And then guess who gets blamed for that? Yeah. Right, so it's all about like obfuscating themselves and their traffic and what they're doing, and then necessarily it might be for them having access into your systems. So should I tell people about that van I've been seeing sitting outside? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That van's fine. Oh, okay. I. It looks like the A team yep, van. Yep, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. It says stiff nipples, heating and air. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that's it. All right, well, let's take a look at our next article, which is also from Tom's Hardware. Sonnet builds 8-port 10 gigabit per second USB-C PCIe adapter. Quite a mouthful. It is. And it was a gigabit bit, not byte, because it's the transfer speed. Is that right? Uh, it should be gigabit, yeah. I mean, okay. yeah. potentially it could be gigabyte. A little little b is, is bit. Yes. Right? Big yeah. b. Okay, so I know there's a difference between the two, second. but it feels like these are the minor things that us IT folks kind of like yeah, freak out about for no good reason. Well, it's, the th it's the kind of crap that I'll hear about Listen, the Listen, Peter. If I say it wrong. <laughs> so it's tricky with USB-C because you could plug a network adapter into it, and now you're supposed to be operating in bits, right? Okay. Yeah. But you could plug an external hard drive into it, oh, no. and they're usually measured in gigabytes per second. But so the speed of the of the transfer is still in, in bits. Well, you, but you'd have to multiply by eight to get it in the right units uh -huh. measure for the right device. And so it does get confusing, absolutely. Sounds but, like a good uh, test certification question. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, the, the unit of measure is not what's important on this one. Yeah. What's important is that you do finally have a way to add full-speed USB-C ports to your computer. So right now, it's actually very difficult to add USB-C ports to a computer, and there's there's limiting factors, some of which is the PCIe bus, but the big limiting factor is just the controllers it takes to do this. So this is a professional card. It has four controllers on the board to provide eight ports, and it can do 10 gigabits on each port. So you know potentially, it can't actually do 80, but it can do upwards of 80 because there's multiple streams so mm -hmm. it depends on whether you're sending and receiving at the same time but if you're somebody who's like a media professional you have external storage devices cameras things like that a card like this is really handy now a usb hub like an eight port usb hub 
for a regular USB, the like USB three, whatever, uh, those are 30, 50 bucks on Amazon. Not a big deal. This one's $400. And that's because the extra controllers and the higher speed, it requires a lot more logic to get USB-C to work the way that it's intended. Uh, this is not Thunderbolt. That would make it even more expensive. So, uh, But it is cool just to see an option like this available now. Don, how many of your devices are running USB-C now, percentage-wise? Uh, not many, actually. So my, uh, uh, I have an iPad, which, which is yeah. USB-C. My keyboard actually has USB-C on it. Um, I've got, at, at home, my microphone amp is USB-C, so I've got a handful of devices couple, that do yeah. it. But I still have a ton of stuff that's regular, is it USB-A? Yeah. 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 So what's more exciting about this? Is it is it the 8 ports? Is it the 10 gigabit per second? Or is it that it's PCIe? So I would say all three, Yeah. right? So PCIe means you're going to have good, solid power coming off of it. So you have powered okay. ports. 10 gigabit, that speed, you need that to get the benefits of USB-C. And then the fact that you get eight ports, this isn't just like a two-port card that you can buy on, yeah. on Amazon. So for somebody who's an actual professional working with like large video files and stuff, a card like this is really, really important. Yeah, because you could you could hammer down with a bunch of like external hard drives that if you can USB power them without having to go through like a you know a wall wart, yeah. this would be amazing because you'd have a ton of storage hooked up really easily. Yeah, no, you would need to be SSDs because there'd be right. there'd be limits to how the much power disc, it could yeah. put out. Yeah, because it is still just one connector on the PCIe yeah. bus. But. So we talked yes uh, last week about why would you want to build your own PC? I mean, this is we the did. kind of yeah. device yes. that you could say absolutely. Hey, the only way I can get this because if this is so new, there's probably not a computer right, right now. It's not like I'm going to go buy this. a Dell and it's going to have this thing already in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, interesting. All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. We've got a couple more articles we want to cover, some, uh, some big ones. So let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we will be right back to our all-new, brand-new set on TechNATO with Don Pizzette. So right now, this is an awesome company. We've developed a study group environment where we have small groups of four to five people in each of our office locations that meet once a week and they, they talk together about what they're doing in their certification. We developed a recommended reading list. We do a couple chapters, each one, uh, as well as the IT Pro TV videos. Not only does our company provide incentives to take the tests, but we pay for the tests. We also pay for the time to study on the tests, and we give a bonus to the employees if they pass the test. It's one thing to study for months on end toward a goal by yourself, but to have someone else with you, like there's a lot, a lot of benefit for that. Need to create custom training videos and not sure where to start? The IT Pro TV studios are your answer. Whether you're creating end user training, employee training, a podcast, or general promotional videos, the IT Pro TV studio team is here to help. Choose the level of service that fits your needs, from ad hoc video production to the convenience of turnkey service. Available services include pre-shoot consultation, recording, editing, makeup, on-camera talent, and more. Choose from a variety of sets or customize the look using your own background displays and props. And if you think video is outside your budget, think again. The IT Pro TV studios are an affordable option with half, full, and multi-day rates available. Visit itpro.tv slash custom training to see the sets, view a detailed list of equipment, schedule a visit, and request your personalized quote. Don't stress about video creation. Let the IT Pro TV studio team bring your video ideas to life. All right, welcome back to Tech Data with Don Pizzette, and uh, still some news to get to. Uh, some of the bigger articles. We, we're, we're like the opposite of the other places where they lead with the big story. 
and then kind of trail off. Yeah, the, we end with, with it. the fluff. The, yeah, yeah. And we there, start off with. There's the fluff. a squirrel water skiing. <laughs> Look at that. That's crazy. It's that's so we, cute. We only want our dedicated viewers to get the yeah, real news. That's right. You know? That's right. Got to trim the fat. Yeah, those those quitters. They won't know about this cool stuff. <laughs> They're all like, "Oh, Windows 3.1 is 30 years old." <laughs> yeah, that's the big news this week. <laughs> no, you're wrong, idiots. Uh, <laughs> but this is our uh, next article from our segment Doe. You see, in the new in the new set, we we don't just have audio. Uh, we have we have pictures Graphics. to go with it. It's moving pictures. It's really the future. Uh, talkies. I can't wait. The talkies. It. Yeah, yeah. It's the talkie. Yeah, I like that. It's just gonna loop for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but th- those of you uh, just listening, it's riveting. You mean the ninety percent of people? Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Mom, everybody else. All right, this one is from Slashdot.org. AMD confirms its GPU drivers are overclocking CPUs without asking. And that's the problem, really. It's consent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what does that mean? Normally it would say, hey, I'd like to overclock you. Uh, so so this one, it's, it's a bit of an honest mistake. Uh, or I don't want to say like it's dishonest or nefarious or whatever. But There's no criminal uh, intent or nefarious right. so, intent. AMD, they, they're one of the few companies that makes processors and GPUs. They make graphic cards, right? So the, the AMD Radeon series and the Ryzen processors are very, all very popular right now. Uh, and some hardcore enthusiasts like to overclock, right? Overclocking is where you drive a processor harder than it's designed. So maybe it's a... It's like two- redlining a car. Yeah, you know, so it might be rated to a certain RPM, and you go even further. Uh, The processor might be 2.4 gigahertz. You run it at 3 gigahertz, right? Which normally, some processors have that that leeway. They can do it, but they get hot. Uh, And if they get too hot, they can freak out. Your computer can crash, or you can actually damage the processor. So it's usually up to us to determine whether we want to overclock or not. Well, AMD has been working on some software solutions where if you have a Radeon graphics card and a AMD Ryzen CPU, that they can talk to each other through this software and it can overclock when it's needed. So you're playing a game, your frame rate starts to drop so it can overclock a bit, get the game running nice and smooth again, and then lower the clock speed again. Dynamic. Kind of cool stuff Mm. if you think about it. Uh, Problem is they rolled an update out and there's a little, little tiny bug in it where even if you didn't give it permission to overclock, it would do it anyway. And that might not sound like a big deal. You, you, know, you might say, well, they're just making my processor run faster. What do I care? But one of the things about overclocking is it typically shortens the life of your processor. So running it hot like that, running it beyond the specs can actually damage it. And so that's where this is a bit of a bigger deal is, you know, if you were somebody who never overclocked your processor, now you don't really know, has it been running hot for a month? Has the life of it shortened? You, you just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty created. So you've got to change the oil in the processor more often? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, would be, it was funny as if they actually discovered this because somebody got busted for running a grow house and all they did was like play video games. <laughs> they, You're using enough power. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do anything. I'm just trying to get 60 frames per second for the love of God. <laughs> so they've, they've already sent out an update to fix this. So that's good. They've acknowledged that it was an issue. It happened. But I think this is something that we'll probably see more of in the future as we go to these software controlled devices where... 
in theory, the manufacturer can make a change and it can apply to your computer, change the way your computer behaves without you even knowing about it. And we already see that with networking gear, routers, switches, firewalls that all have these direct connections back to the manufacturers where their behavior can change just overnight. And and now, you know, something just works a different way than it did before. Well, don't worry. The U.S. government will actually uh, <laughs> backdoor in and they will, <laughs> yeah. they will turn it down. They're like, you. oh, this is way this too is hot. We got to fix yeah. this. Well, <laughs> we say that jokingly, but... Absolutely possible. Well, in, if we were in like a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it, nanny state or something like that, let's let's say— you What do you know, mean if? Well, <laughs> okay, if it was worse. Let's say, you know, that we're consuming too much energy during the summer or something, so they could just come in and they could turn down our, our speeds there. They, they potentially could. Now, there were, there were talks about this a couple of years ago, and I— I always default to my standard of our government has such a big bureaucracy, it's hard for them to really get anything done, so I don't worry about it too much. But like when the pandemic started and people were trying to sequence the COVID genome or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? They need a lot of computer power. So a lot of universities were donating their... their, uh, Like supercomputers? Their their HPCs and all that, yeah, Yeah, to be able to, to jump in and help. Well, the U.S. government has the tools and the ability. They could have said, you know what? Let's start leveraging all of these desktops across the U.S., and we'll start using processor cycles in the middle of the night. All of their desktops or all no, of everyone's? All desktop. of everyone's. Like if they, they have that if, power now? They could tell Microsoft to do whatever they wanted. Oh, they could tell okay. Apple to all do right. whatever they wanted. So absolutely they have that power. Gotcha. So, so they could have done that. They didn't, right? And it, it would have taken literally an act of Congress to yeah. do it. Uh, but that, that power is there. So that's the, the world that we're in now. It's not like you've got these disconnected systems you completely control. There's a lot of people that have their hands in, in your equipment and how it functions. A lot of people are touching your equipment. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is when I wish I had the soundboard this week, but yeah. Ooh, I, did, la, la. I didn't make the move yet from the old studio. I left it uh, over there. Maybe so next I'll week. Bring it over. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have gone with the Beavis and Butthead laughing <laughs> at it, but yeah, like an ooh-la-la would have been it seems good. Seems uh, appropriate. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of things that don't make any sense... Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at something else that makes no sense. Uh, it make no sense. It make no sense. Uh, it make no sense. What you talking about, Willis? Uh, this intro is four frames per second. And it don't make no <laughs> sense. And it doesn't make any sense. I finally, I've been watching. What are you correcting the bad grammar for? My, my bad. It doesn't make, no, that, it's don't make That does no not make sense. any sense. Uh, I, I've been watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and yeah. I finally got to this episode. From? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, like just the other day, I was like, oh, he's wearing the shirt. It's going to happen this episode. Fantastic. I never watched that show. I think I've seen it a couple of times. It's, it? it's like super cringeworthy with just how like disgusting of people they are, which is it's, it's funny, but it's it's uh... one episode I saw where they they bought a boat. And they thought well, it was going to be this awesome boat bachelor pad or whatever. We're going to have parties on it. And the one guy invited these girls and they go out to the boat and they had those, you know, those things in front of like car dealerships that are like yeah. an inflatable guy does all that. Well, they're on the boat. An accident happens. They set the boat on fire. So they had to jump off the boat and swim to the shore and they get to the shore. And that boat is a raging inferno with those things. Just like. <laughs> I was like, that's some funny stuff, it's, right? Yeah, there. It's, it's got its moments. It's kind of it's the kind of show that you don't have to watch in order or anything because there's yeah. no big storyline. It's just yeah. stupid thing happens. Show ends. All right, but anyway, Anywho. what makes no sense this week specifically is from the Register.com. Day seven of the Great Atlassian outage. IT giant still struggling to restore access. Now, this is the company that they run, Jira. Jira, and yeah. is that? 
I know that's like a project management kind of software development software. Is it also a ticketing system? It can be, yeah. Okay. So they actually have a number of different products that all fall into the Jira brand. So that the main product they have is called Jira Software, and it's used for software development. And it's almost more of like a project management. But they have a Jira service desk. They have all sorts of other things. They have Confluence, which is um, it's like a intranet or a wiki. It's a documentation type server. Uh, this is stuff that's designed to help really big companies manage development projects. And it's all in the cloud. Uh, well, so actually it, it isn't. So for many, many years, Jira was an on-premises solution. So you would have your own server, because this is really sensitive data that's in yeah. here. Right? You know, any any security vulnerabilities detecting your software, you'd create a, a case in Jira and track it. So you, you don't want that getting out. Well, what's embarrassing is that a couple of years ago, Atlassian rolled out online versions or cloud versions of this, and they announced that they were end-of-lifing their on-premises solutions. So everybody had, I think it's the end of this year, the end of 2022, to basically transition into their cloud-hosted solution. And those that waited are really <laughs> happy, happy right now because a week ago, the bulk of Atlassian services went offline. And, uh, oh, Daniel's pulling up their, uh, <laughs> their, their status, status page. page. A lot of red on there. Jira, active incident. Jira service oh. management, active incident. Jira work management. But a couple incident. of those were green, though, right? Uh, product discovery is operational. All right. Uh, Jira align, Trello, Bitbucket. Like our website's still up. Oh, do they own Trello? Atlassian support. Yeah, and yeah they acquired Trello. Okay. Trello is a separate infrastructure. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. So yeah. But what's funny, um, <laughs> they, they actually have a status page service. That's offline right now, too. <laughs> <laughs> there so you it's, go. That's it's, it. It's pretty All funny. All that red right there it, means it's not good. It's funny for us that, that you know, aren't necessarily using yeah, it. We, um, use it. we actually do use Jira uh, for our virtual virtual labs uh, development projects. So uh, so anyhow, it, it, it's offline, and it's not been offline for an hour or six hours. You know, sometimes we, we get on here and say there's an outage, we want to wait and find out why. This outage has been going on for a week now, and Atlassian has come out and said it, the rebuild process they're going through will potentially take two more weeks. This is going Holy to be a three-week outage for an enterprise-class software package that's Designed to be cloud-based, like, hey, I don't have to worry about backups anymore. Atlassian's got me covered. So, do we have any idea when they're not online? Because it's still happening, right? So, uh, at Atlassian, they had a maintenance script that was designed to clean up old data. So, if you have customer data that hasn't been accessed in years, you erase it, whatever. Then Skynet became self-aware. Let me tell you, this this was the best cleanup script ever. Yo, man, and it wiped. Basically, seventy-five percent of their customers' data Ooh. gone. Right? Uh, so, <laughs> excuse me, that's a lot of data. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> nice recovery. That, that makes me sneeze when I hear that amount of data. So going. he's allergic Allergies to that level of data pollen. outage. Yeah. So yeah. it's huge. Well, they've got to hope that they've been hacked recently, and that that hacker. You know, like well, exfiltrated the data. Yeah, yeah. Can we get well, that data? You got back, a backup please? of that? A lot of people are asking, why does it take them three weeks to restore? Like, even if they had to go to backup tape and rebuild everything from scratch, three weeks seems a little excessive. Uh, many of their products were advertised with an SLA that showed a recovery time objective or a recovery point objective of six hours. That hey, we can be back online in six hours. That's well, less, yeah. it's a little. The metric to standard conversion is rough, but it's yeah. a little less than three weeks. Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> it's really not looking good for them. This is a huge black eye, and, and we'll have to see how they recover from it. Uh, this software is used by the majority of the Fortune 500. Uh, this is not like some fly by night custom software. Lasting is big in the engineering space. So I want to tell a Don Pizet story real uh, quick. Thanks. So one time. The uh, Don and I, where we used to work, the um, 
email server went down. And Don started working on it to figure it out and get it fixed. And he kept getting phone calls <laughs> about when the hell is this email server going to come back up? And finally he was like, uh, they, I think they, their words were, what's it look like? And he said, it looks like I'm talking to you on the phone instead of fixing the problem. Don't call me anymore. <laughs> that's like, a live look nice. at the Atlassian uh, Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right what's now. going on right now. That's crazy. Yeah. And that was, uh, uh, well, I don't want to say names. That was yeah. It was an executive vice president. So. <laughs> yeah. Don, don't F around. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I knew what the problem was. I was fixing it, but I was honest. Why don't you tell him? I sent you an email about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just check your inbox. So that happened, to, that happened to somebody else we work with. The email server went down, and somebody came into my office and was like, is email down? I'm like, I think, oh, no, that doesn't look good. So I go in the server closet, and I'm like, yeah, it's not looking right. And the other person starts with the J. Everybody that worked there started the name with a J. He comes in, and it was his server. His area of responsibility, and no, no joke. He comes in from lunch. I'm steady working. I'm like, dude, the, the email server's down. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, and it's been down for like a half an hour. He's like, oh crap! Why don't you send me an email? I go, are you serious? <laughs> he goes, I cannot believe I just said that. What's the number for nine one one? We need to yeah. call them and let them know about this. That's funny. That's terrible. Well, that that's what's happening right now there. And 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 when I think about it, they're one of those companies that's big enough where I don't know. That there's some competition that's you know just behind them like a McDonald's Burger King kind of thing that's ready uh, to pounce. I mean, yeah. every like you said, everybody uses this software, so it, people aren't gonna just jump ship now. Maybe over the next year, or two years, they'll say, okay, let's start exploring other options because yeah. we don't want this to happen again. It's difficult, and and to, to put it in, in terms that you you'd probably appreciate, Peter. Like you use shortcut. Are you gonna right? dumb this down? Oh, okay. I thought you were. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, like so, in in the marketing team, you guys use shortcut. We do. Yeah. All right. Formerly so, Clubhouse, uh, changed name to Shortcut. Yeah. So imagine I came around one day and said, "All right, I need you guys to move from Shortcut to this new system." Mm. Right. Like you track all of the work you do in there and shared tasks and I'm and, supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that is not the a job. Big deal for you. <laughs> yeah. But for for the other people yeah, in the marketing. For the people team. that listen, yeah. No, He's getting around to it, Donnie. So because uh, there's not a good way. Well, like right now, imagine you can't even access the data because it's cloud based, right? You assume they were backing yeah. up. So I can't well, we, even we had an outage about about two weeks ago. And it was I think it was like a full day. Hmm. And so and we're like, where's Peter? He's like, yeah. oh, he's over at Stump Beach. Beach. <laughs> well I mean that's the thing. If if you're a company that, that runs on Jira exclusively right now, do you tell your your people take a vacation. We're, we're furloughing. Like, this is the yeah, week to, right. to go to the beach. If you can't do business, the hell are they supposed to this do? This is a horrible day yeah. for managers. This is a great day for the yeah. for the rank and file who are going, I, I, I would. Unless you're an hourly employee. I can't. Uh, and so still true. Getting paid. I, I've been following a lot of it on Hacker News. That's where a lot of, of DevOps people post. And, and you see people saying, like, well, great. Now we have this shared Excel spreadsheet that we're using to track bugs yeah. right now. And it's really starting to make us question how much we need Atlassian. Like, we pay them $180,000 a year, yeah. but a shared Excel spreadsheet is working. <laughs> We've got a dry erase board <laughs> that we set up a camera on. Yeah. You can just look I at it. i got a flat text file full of yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are are these things more complicated? We we did this process for decades before th this came along, and yeah. there was a way to yes. do it. Now, yeah. granted, people are working remote a lot more than back then sure. so there's not you know the board with the post-its that you move across the uh, yep. uh, agile process yeah now Microsoft Azure Amazon's web services uh, uh, I mean you name it most of the big uh, Facebook they've all had outages over yeah. the last couple of years and maybe it's a, a six hour outage maybe even a day right and, and that that happens it's almost impossible to plan for every eventuality but to have one, 
where you know it, it's like this, where it's going to be a three-week outage for some customers. That's that's pretty crazy. Don, like, do you think we start seeing since most things have been moving toward the cloud and we don't really see that slowing down at all? Is this going to start mirroring what we did with traditional on-prem networks, where we have multiple ISPs with backup and HSRP and things like that protocols set in place so that if our single point of failure fails? Now we have a backup point, and, and we can at least limp along, maybe not full capacity, but something where we now have better than a shared some, some, right some yeah. some like competitor to Atlassian, where we now have uh, API keys and logic built into whatever dashboard we use that says if you can't contact Atlassian, go here, go here. Maybe I mean there's so th- there's a company and I'm, I'm thinking Salesforce here right yeah. so a lot of people rely heavily on Salesforce yeah. and if they went offline there there are companies out there that allow you to back up your Salesforce data externally right so you could have your own backup of that data but then how would you use it right so if Salesforce is offline yeah, like open a CSV file <laughs> yeah right now I I don't think we're gonna see a lot of change out of this unless here here's the one thing. Uh, Silicon Valley investors, yeah. when they come up with a valuation for a company, mm. if they don't start looking at things like, what, what is your backup solution? How quickly could you recover from a total 100% disaster, right? If they looked at it and said, ooh, you don't have good backups in place, that's going to affect your valuation. Yeah. Then we'd see change. Mm. But if you still value these companies at a billion dollars when they've got crappy sysadmins in place or uh, this is a risk of devops devops puts a like reduces the importance of sysadmins and you end up with like not good backups or untested restores and and scripts that weren't properly tested before moving into production but it worked on it's exactly (laughs) what we talked about last week of of the wise camera saying well how do we get our camera cheaper than everybody else's well how about we don't secure it at all (laughs) at all all. uh, i'm paraphrasing (laughs) uh but it's the same kind of thing here you know like maybe well the backup strategy i mean what are the chances that's going to happen yeah let's let's put our login port open (laughs) what would our customers value more right a secure password or Faster access to the camera because there's no password. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Faster password access. Yeah. All in favor Microsoft, say aye. Microsoft's been talking about password lists for a long time. <laughs> they could do it. They're today. like, yeah, we yeah, could, they could do it today. That's yeah. Done. Yeah. All right. Uh, Want to let you guys know about a webinar we have coming up real soon. Uh, you can check out all of our webinars over at itpro.tv slash webinars, uh, all the upcoming ones and all the past ones. But uh, a lot of you probably have some free time in your hands right now uh, if you use If you use uh, Atlassian. Your, uh, Atlassian. If you use Atlassian. Yeah, so <laughs> great time to go uh, catch up, binge watch some webinars. Uh, the next one coming up is about a topic we've talked about here a lot, replacing CentOS in production environments, where to turn for alternatives. And that's Don and Wes Bryan uh, doing that next Thursday, April 21st, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Atlassian will probably just be turning back on right about then um, if, if fingers if, crossed with any luck uh so definitely check that out and then uh take a second while you're on that internet and head over to technado.com you can uh, check out all the past episodes you can get some technado swag i uh, got the shirts and the stickers there uh you can meet the team you can uh not physically not yeah, <laughs> yeah. obviously not wouldn't do that uh <laughs> you can contact us and let us know uh, what we should be talking about you can click that big orange button in the corner and uh, check out i IT Pro TV and get 30% off the lifetime of your personal plan over at IT Pro TV. You can also request a team trial and see all the great features available to teams from IT Pro TV. So yeah, technado.com, check it out. Or yeah, we should update that. That's the that's the that's the old well, that still takes you to the same place. 
go.itpro.tv slash technado. But you can get there by going to technado.com and clicking the orange button. I'd do that. That's Maybe even do. by uh, typing techne.do. Yeah. Techne.do <laughs> also, uh, if you are in the, what is that? Dominican, Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic yeah. uh, or anywhere else. Uh, that's how we support the Dominican Republic's uh, economy. That's our little effort uh, because that was not a cheap domain, if I recall. Really? Yeah. Like 70 bucks or something. Yeah, it was, it was more expensive than a normal domain. Yeah. But because they have like a cable in the water, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Take it. The internet, <laughs> there's satellites. I'm sure yeah. it's, yeah. There's both. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, I like this. My feet don't yeah. hurt as much. No, yeah, this is nice. I mean, my butt hurts now. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we could move, that'd be great. That'd be great. What, what we'll do next time at the break, we'll all switch seats. That'll be fun. <laughs> Musical chairs. Yeah. yeah. Everybody take a lap. That's right. Break Come on. And see if we can get back. Sweat it out. See the seats. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you know, more changes to come. This is just the start. We're going to try to have some more fun in these episodes. Now play a few more games. Uh, I think we said, Don, you're out next week. So we'll, we'll have a special guest in that chair. We will not uh, keep it vacant. Maybe Daniel will move over there and I'll know. move over there and we'll, we'll figure it all out. It's going to be very exciting. But thank you all for watching uh, this week. And we'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.